Well, Familia, I get to introduce you now to our, our Global Missions Fest preacher this morning, Kent Muling. By God's grace, the Mulings are, are serving in Japan. I won't get into all the specifics so that he can explain it better to you. I had a bunch of stuff written down, and I was like, you know what? Kent would say this much better than I would. And so I'm going to invite Kent up and, and just say, you get a chance to, uh, to learn about the ministry that the Lord has done through him and his family here this morning, but you'll also get a chance afterwards in the meet and greet. I can't stress that enough that you'll get a chance to ask questions and participate in that. And so with all that said, brother, tell us what you're doing, but then also open up God's word to us this morning. I'll step out. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Tri-Village Church. It's a pleasure to be here. I confess I'm a little nervous, not just because I'm in front of you, but uh, because my parents are watching online, and I've never, uh, they've never heard me preach before. Um, I was really excited when I found out that Wheaton Bible Church was planting a church in the Tri-Village area because I'm a Bartlett boy. I grew up here. Bartlett Elementary, Eastview Junior High School, Elgin High, um, graduated, went to University of Illinois on an ROTC scholarship, um, got my commission and went to flight school, Navy flight school, and served as a Naval flight officer for eight and a half years. Another story. The point was, I'm just a kid from Bartlett. <laughs> um, but it would be a story for another time how God was working in my life while I was in uh, the Navy on active duty, changing me to the point where I decided to do something that was more rewarding than flying a jet off an aircraft carrier, and that was telling people who've never heard about Jesus, the gospel. So I resigned my commission a year and a, oh, three months later, I was in the Ukraine for a year and a half, not knowing what I would do next. Came back from there deciding I want to learn and grow more, so I enrolled in a seminary just for a year. During that first semester, I decided I want to go back to the mission field long-term, thinking I'm going to go back to some Russian-speaking country because that's where I had been, and I loved it there. Then I was studying in the seminary library one day and saw this gorgeous, exotic-looking Asian lady walk up to the counter. Uh, turns out she was from Japan. So I married her, and I'm not learning Russian anymore. Uh, my wife, Yuko, who I've just referred to, was born and raised in Japan. Um, first world country, of course, but never having met a Christian, seen a Bible, or gone to church. Had questions about the meaning of life that no one had answers to, and it left her very discouraged. She ended up coming to the US uh, to study at Southern Illinois University and met the Lord there through a lady who was teaching English to the international students. Um, Eventually got a job in Orlando, went home for a year, came back to study counseling at a seminary in Orlando. Happens to be the seminary where I was studying. That's where we met and married. And then together, after a couple of kids, went to Japan uh, to serve there as missionaries, not the former Soviet Union. As for what we're doing in Japan, I had a video prepared. Would like to let that and give a brief introduction to Japan and what we're doing there. And then we'll get into the word after that. So. Japan is an amazing country. If you come here, you will be struck by the beauty of Japan's nature and culture, by its high-tech cities, and by its friendly people. We love Japan. But what you see when you come to visit is only the surface. Japan is a country whose flaws are hidden under layers of beautiful wrapping. If you look deeper, if you take the time to unwrap the package, you'll find another Japan. 
you will find loneliness, depression, and one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Beneath the beautiful wrapping, Japan is a land of great darkness, a land without Christ. In fact, less than 1% of Japan's 127 million people are followers of Christ, making Japan the second largest unreached people group in the world. Scripture tells us that we are a people belonging to God so that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Japan needs the light of God's saving grace. That's why we're here. Hello, I'm Kent Muling. And I'm Yuko Muling, and we're church planting missionaries serving with Asian Access in Japan. For over 50 years, Asian Access has helped develop leaders and multiply churches in Japan. And it's been our pleasure to serve with Asian Access in Japan for over 13 years. We firmly believe that the church is God's primary means of reaching the lost in Japan. So our goal is to establish believing communities where the good news of God's grace is not just taught, but also experienced and then shared with others. Like the Apostle Paul wrote, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Through building relationships and making disciples of Christ, we are working to see individuals, families, and communities transformed by the power of the gospel. But this begins by moving into a community, making friends, building trust, and living out a Christ-centered lifestyle that others can see. Then. We're constantly asking, what can we do to start or strengthen a relationship with this person, with this family, this community? Understanding that as relationships of trust are built, hearts will open and opportunities to share the gospel will follow. For the last six years, we've been working with a Japanese pastor in the city of Sendai to raise up new Christ followers and establish a new community of believers there. Four years ago, Grace Center Church Sendai was born and is now a small but thriving community of 35 followers of Christ. It is exciting to see how God is impacting lives through this new church. video went on a bit, but I stopped there because I wanted uh, to introduce you to Kazuma, that young man who you just saw. Uh, we met Kazuma uh, five years ago. A group of college students came from Australia on a short-term mission trip to help us get to know college students in Sendai. Uh, Sendai has about 70, between 75 and 80,000 students at universities, trade schools, and other secondary schools. Huge student population. Um, we met him through a friend of his who was a college student, but Kazuma had dropped out of school after junior high school and had basically been a shut-in in his home for years uh, when we met him. Uh, we just welcomed him into our community. He started after the, that team of college kids left, went back home. Uh, he showed up on a Sunday morning to worship with us, made it very clear he was Buddhist. We said, cool, great, glad you're here and we just included him. The next week he came again, told us he was Buddhist. Great, what'd you think about what we just read? Week number three, I'm a Buddhist. Yeah, we got it, glad you're here. What'd you... Six weeks later, he said, I wanna get baptized. So my pastor and I talked with him, 
Turns out, he's not sure if God exists. He understands 0.0% about Jesus, the Bible, and the gospel. Why in the world is he asking to get baptized? Took me a minute to figure out, he just wants to belong. We didn't know his background, his hard family history, his dropping out of school, but we realized afterwards, that was probably the first time in his life he actually was someplace where he felt like he belonged, and he just wanted to be a part of it. Took another seven months of studying together with the pastor and me before he was ready to make a real profession of faith and get baptized. But he already knew he wanted it, so he stuck it through. I'm introducing him and that um, because what he saw was light that brought uh, a difference into the darkness of his own light. And that's the theme of our conference and the scripture that we're looking at this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, please open to it. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But uh, our theme text for this morning and this missions conference is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, familiar with that that well-known passage, in Matthew chapter 5. This is Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus is teaching his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is God's word. Please pray with me just a moment, would you? Father, we thank you for your word. It is living and active and shines light into the darkness of our hearts, our lives. Lord, would you please be our teacher this morning? Speak to us through your word. Build us up in our faith. Thank you for forgiving our sins. They are great. Help us to hear your voice and to know you better through your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this passage... Uh, I want to focus on three basic, simple things that uh, Jesus is telling us. First, our identity. You are the light of the world. Second, our mission. Let your light shine before others. And the purpose, God's glory, that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you're familiar familiar with Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, of which I'm not one, by the way, but anyway, habit number two is begin with the end in mind. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to begin with the end, which is our purpose, the glory of God. That's not just the purpose of this passage, but it's actually the purpose of all creation and the core purpose of our lives as human beings. God has made us for himself. The Westminster Shorter Catechism That's a nearly 400-year-old discipleship tool, originally used to teach children the basics of the faith. It's pretty dense stuff, pretty deep stuff, but the very first question asks, what is the chief end of man in modern English? What's man's primary purpose? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can see that truth running from the beginning to the end of Scripture, And since that's the end we're supposed to have in mind, I want to take a couple minutes and look at that storyline of the Bible, uh, which begins and ends with the the glory of God. And in the middle, at the center, is Jesus Christ and the good news of what he has done, what we call the gospel. So let's walk through the story of the Bible. We're going to go through the whole Bible here in just a few minutes. Six chapters. 
okay? Um, kind of uh, moves the story from its beginning through conflict and into the happily ever after, okay? Chapter one, the Bible opens with the creation story, telling us how God created the universe and everything in it, and it was very good. The pinnacle of God's creation, of course, was mankind, who were made male and female in God's image to know and love and serve him. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. Next verse, he says, God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. But this is key. Being made in God's image isn't so much about how we were made as why we were made. As images of God, the creator and king of the universe, we were created to represent him by ruling, in another translation, by having dominion over the creation on his behalf. If you think of the word image uh, like statue, that might be helpful. In the ancient Near East, when the Bible was written, kings would typically make images of themselves and put them up throughout their realm. In our own day, the communists put a statue of Lenin in the city, uh, in the center of every major city in the Soviet Union. Why do they do that? Because the image represents the ruler. Where the image is, that's where the king rules. We were created to represent God in this earth in the same way. So after creating the first man and woman, God blessed them and commissioned them, saying, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's as if God said, here is my good world. I've created it, but I'm entrusting it to you. So protect it, cultivate it, enjoy it. This was the original plan for the kingdom and the glory of God to spread throughout the earth. God's images, these little living statues of the great king, would multiply, fill the earth, and display God's glory, that is, his goodness and perfection, through the goodness of their own lives. Others should be able to look at the way we live, the way we live and work and serve and play and love. They should be able to look at our lives and say, oh, God is king here. So from the beginning, God's purpose was for us to live in fellowship with him and to live our lives in a way that would bring him glory, reflect his glory. But that's not really what we see happening in the world today, is it? What happened? Chapter 2, fall, rebellion. Sadly, humanity rebelled against God who created them and became corrupted by sin. They began to rule the world in evil ways. Shame, guilt, destruction, murder, pride, greed, a host of other sins brought great darkness into the world. All humanity became marked by sin and death, and God's now corrupted images, no longer reflected his glory. Chapter three, promise. But God promised to defeat sin, evil, and death and make the world new. He chose one man, a man named Abraham, to be the father of a family that would one day bless all the peoples of the earth. That family, if you know your Old Testament, grew into the nation of ancient Israel. Through their uniqueness, their obedience and worship, the world around them would once again be able to recognize what God is like through their lives. But most importantly, God promised that through this family, a king would come 
like a great light shining in the darkness who would redeem the entire earth from sin and death and evil. Chapter four, rescue. Jesus is that king. Jesus lived a sinless life full of love and goodness, fully pleasing to God the Father on our behalf. Then he gave his life on the cross as payment for our sins. Three days later, God raised him to life again to be our living Savior and Lord. So the gospel, the good news about Jesus is that through his life and death and resurrection, he has defeated sin and death and evil and is making all things new starting with us. Chapter five, renewal. We're living chapter five right now, by the way. Through Jesus, the process of restoring creation to its former goodness and beauty has already begun. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into all who believe, and he's working to restore us back into the image of God. If you want a fancy technical term for that, it's sanctification, right? Growing in holiness. He's making us back into the image of God so, that's, so that God's glory can once again be seen in us and through us. God's Holy Spirit also calls us together into community, the community of God's people, the church. And together, we're called to give our friends, our neighbors, our cities, a foretaste of what this coming restored world is going to look like and a glimpse of God's glory. Others should be able to look at us, the church, the way we work and play and love and live and serve. They should be able to look at us and say, oh, God is king here. Through the church, God's original purpose for humanity, to fill the earth with his images who would rejoice in his glory and reflect it to the world around. Once again, in the church, this is beginning to be fulfilled. Chapter six, restoration. The end we're still looking forward to. One day, Jesus will return to complete the work of restoration that he is now engaged in doing through us, the church. All sin and suffering and death will be wiped away. Everything will be set fully and finally right. We'll be restored to our former dignity as God's image bearers, and God's initial purpose for creation will be fulfilled. In the words of the prophet Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what this story, the story of the Bible makes clear is that God himself is on mission. That mission is to make all things new, even us, as he rescues and restores the whole creation from sin and death for the sake of his glory. And the primary way he's working now to accomplish that mission is through us, his people, followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to us, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's our primary purpose, to bring God glory. It's why he made us. It's why we're breathing. That's the end in mind, point one. Next, our identity. Jesus said to us in verse 14, chapter five here, you are the light of the world. It's a simple declaration. Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is who you are. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is simply true about you. No choice. Jesus doesn't say, go out there and be light. He says, you are the light of the world. So what does that mean? Well, what does light do? It enables you to 
see. It reveals, it guides. It shows you where you are and where you need to go. Therefore, the very purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to give light. This isn't optional for Christians. You are the light of the world. Implication of this. That was the declaration. Here's the implication. If we're light, what does that say about the world? It's in darkness. You see that, don't you? People not knowing the meaning or purpose of their lives. People living without hope for the future. People, as the old song says, searching for love in all the wrong places, not knowing where to find it. And Jesus is saying to his followers, you are in this world to give light, to reveal truth and show people the path to life, the back to the Father. One clarification now. The you in you are the light of the world is plural. This is really significant, actually. Jesus is talking to his disciples as a believing community. Now, a lot of other more community-oriented cultures would maybe assume this quite naturally, but we as Americans are so very individualistic in our thinking. We probably read that, and immediately you think, oh, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I'm... Okay. He's not saying you, as a collection of individuals, are each lights of the world. Jesus is saying you, plural, are the light, singular, of the world. Theologian Daryl Guder said it this way, the life of the community is the primary form of its witness. Of course, there's an individual application too, but Jesus is saying your life is a community. The love and good deeds expressed among you and then displayed to others. That is the light you are to let shine. It's a simple truth. Disciples of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, will make a difference in this world. And as Jesus said, that difference will be seen and experienced through our lives as they are well lived, as they're lived with God and for God, lives full of good works. Sometimes those good works may be dramatic looking or sacrificial in their nature. Other times they may be really ordinary things like welcoming a kid into your home and saying, glad you're here, don't care that you're a Buddhist. It was pretty significant for him. Felt really ordinary to us. But it was the light of lives being well lived together in community and just welcoming a stranger in. This brings us to our mission Point three, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that the light of our good works, our good deeds, should lead others to praise the Father. The goal is that, again, others would come to know God through us. Jesus made that clear when he first called his disciples. Just a chapter previous in Matthew chapter 4, he called his disciples and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, you follow me, I'll prepare you. I will make you into ones who can call others into the kingdom so that more of humanity will fulfill their purpose of existence, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, we have to be careful here. What kind of good works is Jesus talking about? If you go forward a chapter, this is chapter 6, verse 1, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, 
beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay. Uh, Let your light shine so others can see your good works. But be careful of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Jesus isn't talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's warning. Don't display your good works in order to make yourself look good. But that's our tendency, right? To kind of live for our own glory. It's possible to do all sorts of good things for self-serving purposes. Sometimes I do good because I want to impress you. Sometimes I do good because I feel obligated to do so. Sometimes I do good in order to feel good about myself. I want to think that I'm a good person. In other words, I'm doing all sorts of good things in order to establish my own sense of self-righteousness. Another wrong way to approach good works is to think something like this. Jesus said, I'm a light. I'm the light. It's up to me. So I have to be good. I have to do good. Jesus wants me to reach my city with the gospel. Let's go. What's wrong with that? Sounds good, right? Uh, But the problem is you're trying to do good works in your own strength. And you can't keep that up for very long. It gets really tiring. Leads to a lot of stress and worry. Uh, But Jesus comes along in Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and he just blows that way of thinking up. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 5, this is how he began his teaching to his disciples. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So my paraphrase, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, stop pretending to be better than you are. Stop thinking you have to do it on your own. You're blessed if you recognize your spiritual poverty. You're blessed if you mourn your moral failure. You're blessed if you're honest about your true self before others. You're blessed if you long to be made clean. Disciples of Jesus know they're nothing special. We know we're sinners. We're ordinary people with the same faults and weaknesses as everybody else. I know I am. And so is my family. You can just ask them. They can tell you all about my impatience and short temper and procrastination and lack of self-control. And to that, I could tell you about pride and insecurity and more. But we have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've received mercy and forgiveness from God. God has declared us sinful though we are. Dark as our hearts are in those places that you don't want to let anybody else see. He sees all that and declares us clean and acceptable in his sight. He's filled us with his love. We know we're sons of God and that the kingdom of God is ours. And because of all that, we are, or ought to be, happy. Amen? In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Our light is the light of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have life, eternal life. We're not special, but Jesus is, and he's in us. He's with us. That's what makes Christians different from anybody else. Jesus in us is what makes us the light of the world. 
You can often tell when a person's just trying to look good. It doesn't matter if they say they're Christian or not, but on the other hand, there is something about a follower of Jesus who is genuinely humble and generous and kind. You know, somehow they just smell different. And that difference is Jesus. So now, instead of doing good works to try and make ourselves look good, Jesus is exhorting us to good, do good works that make God look good. I'd like to tell you a story to illustrate this. Uh, in March 11, on March 11th of 2011, uh, the U.S. here, we have our 9-11. Japan has their 3-11. That was uh, the date of the great earthquake and tsunami that devastated 150 miles of coastline in northeast Japan. Uh, six days later, I went up into that area to be part of one of the very first volunteer relief teams. And uh, it was pretty raw, pretty rough. Uh, the place was, that whole area was, was flooded with volunteers from all over Japan, all over the world, literally. But months later, most everybody had left, except the Christians. They were still there serving. Some of them moving into the neighborhoods that had been washed out by the tsunami. Moving into those neighborhoods to be part of restoring long-term. I went to uh, one of those communities where a a group from a church were continuing to serve. And I met an older gentleman. I say older. I'm already 56. I guess he wasn't that much older. Uh, anyway, um, who had become a believer. Uh, this was a year after the disaster. So I asked him, how did he come to become a follower of Jesus? What happened? And uh, he's some sort of a community leader in this neighborhood. Uh, the whole neighborhood had been washed out by the tsunami. It came through about eight or nine feet high, washed out everybody's first floor. So everybody's living in the second floor of their house. Downstairs is nothing. No electricity, water, phone, kitchen, just mud and stinking fish. But they're still in their homes. Anyway, um, volunteers came in cleaning out people's houses, digging muck out of gutters, uh, cooking hot food. Um, they restored one of these homes and used it as a, a center for their relief work over the next couple of years. Anyway, this gentleman is walking through his neighborhood and um, just observing these volunteers, Christians, foreigners, and Japanese coming into his community day after day, week after week, month after month. And he, he, this is his story. He told me. He watched them and he thought, I don't understand. They just keep coming. They don't know us. They're not from here. We can't give anything to them. They keep serving, they keep helping, they never seem to get tired. And look at their faces. There's such smiles on their faces. After a few months of watching this, he decided his words again. I want a face like that. So he went to the renovated house that was being used as the, the relief center, whatever. He just went to the house on his own, knocked on the door, and asked the guy who opened it, how can I have what you have? I met him a year later at a weekly Bible study, and he was faithfully learning to follow the Lord because of what he had seen on the faces and the serving he had seen through a bunch of people who were just coming up to help. That was a unique opportunity to let light shine. Uh, but it doesn't always take, you know, uniquely severe devastation to make 
a real impact in someone else's life. Um, we're in the midst of a different kind of difficulty right now, the COVID pandemic, which has thrown a wrench into people's plans all over the world for a really long time now. And it's getting really old, isn't it? Um, the reality is also that most people, unlike, uh, well, most people don't repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ because they saw you do just one act of kindness or because they heard you uh, tell them about Jesus one time. For this gentleman, it was months of watching. For Kazuma, it was six weeks, but then months of reading and studying before he could finally wrap his head around everything. But the light often, our light often has to shine for a long time before it penetrates the the darkness in the hearts of other people. Um, Kazuma, the young guy I told you about who you saw just for 30 seconds there, uh, his case was a little unusual. From nothing to I want to get baptized six weeks later is unusual. His best friend, Kato, who's the student I, who we met him through, uh, they both, we met them both at the same time. They both visited our Sunday gathering for the first time together. By the end of that year, Kazuma was a believer and has been faithfully worshiping and serving with us ever since. Five, how many years is it now? Five, six years later? Kato is still not a believer. Still comes to worship with us sometimes, and then we don't see him, and he comes and goes. Uh, if Joshua sends him a message, he'll come. He and Joshua are kind of buddies. Um, but he's still not there, and so we're still witnessing to him, still praying for him. We're still not sure what's holding him back. He's heard a lot. He's seen a lot. This isn't uncommon for Japan. It often is a years-long process of people coming to faith. So we should take uh, Paul's encouragement to the Galatians in chapter 6, 9, and 10 as encouragement for us too. Paul writes there, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Almighty God is not in a panic over COVID. He's perfectly capable of, capable of carrying out his will despite and even through our current circumstances. So please, church, don't give up. Keep shining. Last thing I'd like to do is talk a little more specifically about application. What kinds of good deeds should we be thinking about? What does this mean? Not uh, occasional random acts of kindness, although that's great. Uh, if you want to know what Jesus had in mind, just read the Sermon on the Mount. The whole rest of chapters 5, 6, and 7 describe the good life, the kind of good works that he's talking about. And most of it actually has to do with the kind of people God wants us to become, not just the things he wants us to do, because becoming comes before doing. Good deeds naturally flow from a good heart, and we don't have good hearts that's the work that he does in us first. Then, as God creates in you a renewed heart, you could try actually following the golden rule. This is also in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. He was summing up his teaching with that. 
And I confess, we often dumb that down to something for our kids like be nice to your sister, remember the golden rule. I think Jesus had something much more profound in mind than that. He's not saying uh, do to others so that they will do to you. That would be self-serving. He's also saying don't do what you don't want other people to do. That'd be too easy. Just don't be mean, don't be rude, and then go on your merry way and everything's fine. He's asking for more than that too. The golden rule means actively pursue doing good to others in the same way that you would like them to do good to you. They, and not you, should be your first priority. So how would you like to be treated in any given situation? With patience, kindness, generosity? Would you like to be given the benefit of a doubt? Would you like to be forgiven after messing up? Would you like to be heard rather than criticized and accused if you express a different opinion? I imagine you'd want to be treated with respect and kindness no matter what your ethnic background was or the color of your skin was. But here in the U.S., that's certainly not always the case, is it? So imagine you are the one going to a foreign country to find work. How would you want to be treated? Would you want to be looked down on or simply ignored? Or would you want the people of this new country, your host country, to take an interest in you? Be patient with you as you struggle to learn their language. Would you want them to go out of their way to give you the help you needed to get established in your new country? If so, then that is what Jesus commands you to do for the foreign worker here. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All of God's moral teaching in the Old Testament can be boiled down to that. I want you to know, though, that we are part of a church community that is already doing this a lot. We do seek to let our light shine through all sorts of good deeds, some of which you saw in the videos uh, at the beginning of our worship, but let me tell you some more. 30 cents of every dollar given to Wheaton Bible Church is invested in global and community outreach beyond the walls of this church. 30% of our budget goes to stuff out there. That's pretty huge. We have a deep 12-year-long commitment to uh, the ministry to immigrants and refugees through Puente de Pueblo. This morning, among the various campuses of Wheaton Bible Church, there are worship services happening in five languages, English, Spanish, Arabic, Khmer, that's Cambodian, and French for the Congolese and African Fellowship. We're offering services in five languages. Overseas, fighting HIV, building water and sustainability, planting new churches in Kenya, 22 other partnerships with other indigenous leaders in difficult ministry contexts throughout Africa and the Middle East. Again, as you heard before, supporting over 90 missionaries and indigenous partners in 52 nations, of which the Mulings are just one. But we also have this weekend, most of them over at the West Chicago campus this morning, Carolyn Adolf who spent 23 years as a nurse in Ethiopia. Rod and Kathy Duttweiler, who have been raising up leaders um, in uh, Senegal and in South Africa for three decades. Jonathan Maris and his wife in Greece. Mark and Tammy Roosh in the Philippines. Uh, Morgan here with us this morning in Southeast Asia. Dan and Cheryl Shedd in Ecuador. 
Vic and Leslie Troutwine and Shelton Thompson serving in the Dominican Republic and others. Over the course of the history of this church, over 500 Wheaton Bible Church members have gone out to be light in other places of the world. This is the kind of church that we're part of. You are the light of the world. Again, I want to come back to this because we've talked a lot about missionaries and things that are happening out there, but Jesus wasn't talking to the missionaries. He's speaking to his disciples, to his church, to us. We are to let our light shine wherever we are, starting right here. So Tri-Village Church, you exist. We exist here to let our light shine in our places of work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and then also on to the ends of the earth. Why are the mealings in Japan? Because Tri-Village Church isn't. We're just trying to export what you and we should be already doing here. We are exporting church because Japan doesn't have hardly any churches. I did the math. Our city of Sendai, I estimate, has one quarter of 1% of the population as believers. That's one, maybe one in 400 would profess to be a believer of some sort. That is not much light. So that's why that we're, we're going there, because you're not there. But, of course, you are to let your light shine here in the same way. We're just doing over there what, you should, what we ought to be doing anyway. That's all a missionary does, is just go somewhere else to do what all of us are supposed to be doing. We're just going somewhere where no one else is doing it yet. That's why we have missions. So I want to challenge you. How can you let your light shine before others? Many of us already lead pretty busy lives, so it might be hard to add still more activity to an already full schedule. So one suggestion. Uh, rather than thinking additional might I encourage you to think intentional? In other words, can you do the everyday, ordinary things you're already doing with new intentionality, with gospel intentionality? Everybody eats together. Everybody celebrates special events. Everybody has opportunities to help others from time to time. How can you engage in those things more often, more intentionally, together with other believers as a community? And then, how can you invite an unbeliever in to what you're doing so they can see how good it is to belong to the community of God's people? You eat three times a day. Maybe once a week, you could decide we're going to get together as a fellowship and we're going to invite a neighbor or a friend or somebody and just be together and let them see us being together. Maybe the next time a friend at church needs help, you invite a neighbor to come along and just let them see you helping someone. Whatever it may be, let others see who we are, how we live and love and serve, so they can see God is king here. So they can see how good it is to belong to his people. I have no idea how long I was supposed to go, but I think it's time for me to stop. <laughs> it's 11.30. So, um, you, we are the light of the world. Please pray with me. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for giving us a taste of your goodness, but we want to experience more of it 
as a believing community. And we want others to see your goodness in us. Please shine your light through us. Through us, would you show others across the street and across the world how good you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The love of God shine brightly in you. The Holy Spirit work through you so that others may see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Amen.